Hello, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, March 31st. It has been a long month, hasn't it? Colorado lawmakers probably feel that way after putting in a lot of extra hours, including on weekends this month. And also, the same could be said for our panel, all of whom have been hard at work this month. Joining us tonight is Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, along with Marianne Goodland, chief legislative reporter at Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs Gazette. Ed C. Lover, editor of The Sum and Substance in his new role as Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That sounds good there, Ed. And also Luigi Del Puerto, editor at Colorado Politics and the Denver Gazette. A package of gun violence prevention bills is getting closer to heading to Governor Polis's desk for his signature after much discussion, Patty. Well, and of course, the background of the discussion heated up here because of the East High shooting and then the Nashville shooting. Um, and of course, we had the Boulder King Super shooting anniversary too. It's amazing what's going on in Denver right now because we're gonna see the school resources officers who were banned back in June 2020 back in the schools on Monday. Denver Public, Denver's paying for them, not the DPS. The police said they would cover it. And we also see that the Safe City Summit, which has been going on for 27 years, Youth Safe City Summit since the city of summer violence was canceled in the wake of East High, not because it wasn't important to have it, but simply because DPS had called a mental health day and they couldn't get the students there. So that's a shame. Meanwhile, those students are over protesting at the Capitol. And that's the background of what Marianne's been covering. You have students who say, we don't feel safe, parents, teachers, and they say, do something to the legislature, which really is about to do something. I saw in Nashville on Thursday, parents and students are at their state capitol as well. So Marianne, what has it like been at the Colorado Capitol with these long meetings these filibusters, these time limits put on discussion. It has been about as chaotic as I think I've ever seen things in the General Assembly. It, uh, the House tends to sort of thrive on this sort of um, these sort of shenanigans, but th this time it's kind of gone way over way over what I've ever seen. I can't remember the last time that they spent an entire weekend just filibustering over a very small number of bills. The bottom line, though, is that all of the bills that were in the House, uh, it was a, a bill on raising the uh, age requirement for purchasing a firearm to 21, the um, ERPO bill, the red flag bill, and the bill on gun liabilities. All three of them passed with strong majorities, although not entirely, not every Democrat voted for them, but, but they, they had the votes that they could afford to lose a couple. Over in the Senate, um, which I would call the adults in the room. Um, they did spend some serious time on Friday and um, and Monday debating the fourth bill in that package, which is the three-day waiting period bill. So well, I expect to see all four of those bills on the governor's desk within probably the next week or so. Okay. And at the same time, Ed, <clears throat> there are threats of lawsuits if the governor does sign off on these. And I think 15 years ago, that might have stalled this a little bit. I, th I think you would have seen people then saying, ooh, I don't know, let's look into this. Is this possible? But I think the threats of lawsuits are so common today. We saw this, you know, multiple lawsuits being threatened and then filed, for example, around the 2021 transportation funding bill, lawsuits that have yet to come up uh, with any specific decision uh, against that bill. So I think when you're, when you're talking about the threats of lawsuits, they are of lesser importance 
these days. I think the only thing that really slows down a bill um, is when you see a successful lawsuit on a similar bill in federal court or in another state to look at it. Um, I think at this point, the, the Democrats who, who run the legislature know what they want. They want to push it through. And, and I think for this much, they have, after several years of gun debates, they have vetted uh, what they believe are the constitutionality of this. People are still going to say, no, 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 this is, this is overstepping the Second Amendment. Um, but I, I don't think the lawsuit threats are going to slow it down at this point. Okay. Uh, there are still gun prevention bills uh, that Marianne didn't talk about that haven't been fully discussed in the state legislature, including the one uh, regarding uh, banning assault weapons. Um, and that's the kind of weapon that this week's Nashville shooter uh, used. And then the bill to ban ghost guns. And the suspected shooter two weeks ago at East High School was on probation for possession of a ghost rifle and a ghost gun was reportedly found near his body, Luigi. So those are two that we're still waiting to hear or see where if they progress. The so-called uh, uh, assault weapons ban, which has been introduced, which has not been heard, and by the way, which the governor said, indicated already that he doesn't support this proposal. Um, so that's that's been introduced. So at some point, that's going to go through the process. Um, and, you know, if you got the governor saying don't, send it to my desk, then uh, the chances are it may not go to his desk, something like that. Um, and obviously, you mentioned ghost guns. And this is something that uh, Senator Rhonda Fields from Aurora is supposed to uh, introduce um, a sponsor in, in, in the coming days here. And if you do remember, uh, Senator Rhonda Fields also, there was a bullet that went through her house in Aurora. Um, and of course, all of this magnified by the East High shooting, the Nashville shooting. But remember, the impetus for this, for most of these bills, happened in Colorado Springs, the Club Q shooting. You know, that's why we're having the red flag law expansion legislation, for example. Um, so you got a couple of gun bills still lying out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm really hoping they're not going to do it on a Saturday and a Sunday and give Marianne a break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, lawmakers are also coming through the proposed budget for our state, which would take effect on July the 1st. Uh, Marianne, the state Senate has spent the week this week on the $38.5 billion budget, and there are already a lot of proposed changes. I, I was amused by uh, the members of the Joint Budget Committee who last Friday told the state Senate that this was a perfect bill, don't mess with it. And of course, that it never, it never ends up that way. Uh, we saw about 50 amendments. The biggest ticket items were attempts by Republicans to pay off the debt to K-12 education known as a budget stabilization factor that actually isn't handled through the long bill, it's handled through the School Finance Act, which hasn't been introduced yet. Those obviously failed. The most controversial uh, amendment was one over the Indian mascot replacement. Uh, this was something that happened two years ago. Uh, lawmakers passed a bill to require any school that was using an Indian mascot to replace it with something else. And the, uh, the premise of that bill was sold to lawmakers on, the, on money that was going to be available to help those schools pay for that cost. As it turns out, every school that's applied for a grant has been denied hmm. because there, there was never going to, that money was never going to be available. They were kind of sold a bill of, bill of goods. And this is, this is not a small expense for a rural school. Uh, it runs about $100,000 per school to do that kind of work. Uh, in the end, they wound up with about $85 million more in the budget, um, but those amendments will get stripped off and the House will start over uh, with the whole process next week. That's next week. Okay. Correct. Senate this week, next week. Okay. Ed, you have noticed some behind the scene battles in terms of kind of 
trying to do some workarounds. Yeah, now I will say, I think the thing that's really shaped this budget debate is when Governor Polis introduced his proposed budget in November and said very starkly, we do not have money in the budget for pet projects this year. Uh, and so what that started legislators doing, uh, instead of trying to fight back on the governor, they said, well, let's find other ways around. Uh, an example that I've written about that we've noticed is the Employment Support Fund. This is a fund that is seeded by uh, a small portion of the unemployment taxes that employers pay that typically go into the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, which creates the benefits when people need them. Um, a, a number of bills have decided that they want to use that money to enforce proposed new labor laws this year. Those are bills for everything from the gig worker transparency bill that's going to make Uber and Lyft be more open if it passes, about how much it pays drivers, uh, to uh, bills like the failed uh, Fair Work Week Act that was going to require uh, more outfront scheduling for restaurant and retail workers. Uh, and, and there's about $3 million uh, or $7 million, depending on, on how you calculate this, in, in bills that would take money from there and kind of work around this limitation in the general fund. These are the kind of things that are going on behind the scenes when you have a tight budget and will probably expand out to other potential funds that could have money taken from them as we go along. Hmm, okay. Uh, <laughs> Luigi, I remember you sitting in that chair right at the start of the session saying, it's all going to come down to how much we can afford and the budget. And this, you know, they've got listened to forecasters of what our economy is going to look like. But, you know, we have inflation up. We have interest rates going up and the bank failures of recent. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting because the governor said, hey, uh, no new programs. OK, it's a tight budget. They are spending about on uh, what? Uh, nine percent, eight point nine percent more than than last time. About one point two billion dollars. Now, a lot of that money is going into healthcare spending. About four hundred million dollars of that is allocated toward this group of people that have healthcare right now through Medicaid that will lose their healthcare because we're not going to get the same matching funds from the feds anymore. So a lot of that money is going into healthcare. A couple of things that they're spending on this year: five percent pay hike for uh, across the the board for state workers. Uh, it's a real problem when you've got inflation, as you mentioned. You know, at one point it was, what, 9% inflation? And so 5% is not going to cover it. It's going to do something. It's going to help out, you know, those agencies that always have had trouble uh, recruiting and retaining uh, staffers, corrections, for example. Um, and then, of course, the providers are also going to get a 3% reimbursement rate hike. And that's important for them because they, too, are having a problem trying to find and retain workers. Mm. Patty, your thoughts on trying to fix this with this budget? Well, what we have to remember is just so how much of that budget is already allotted to different areas. Mm -hmm. And to go on with education, what Marianne was talking about, we are not funding schools to the extent other states are. And you have some of these rural schools, and they get the surprise that they suddenly lose their mascot, which they did not pick to be... Um, to be racist, but although you do see some schools like Arapahoe High School, Strasburg mm -hmm. High School, they worked with the tribes to have a mascot that was okay with them. But there's no money. If they, are, if they have to absorb this, what else are they absorbing all the time? Mm -hmm. So education is really tough. And the things the voters put on the legislature and the budget every year, we're going to get to the affordable housing issue, but you also have just the tax cuts. We have a tight budget, and it's going to be a really wild week seeing how they're going to try to reconcile this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely will be. Uh, also, next week, we are just days away now from the Denver City and County election. 
elections and our first election for a new Denver mayor in 12 years. Ed, this isn't going to be the end. There's bound to be another runoff in June for our next mayor. And the decisions that the next leader for just the city of Denver, those decisions could have an impact statewide. Yeah, I think a lot of people, even outside Denver's borders, are watching uh, the way that voters cast their ballots here uh, in terms of what it means to the homelessness issue. Uh, we've seen a, a poll from uh, Denver for us all, a new group that, that popped up about a month plus ago, uh, that basically showed that homelessness is the top issue. It's the one that people are most passionate about when they're going to the polls. And frankly, you're seeing late campaign pivots toward that, too. I was very fascinated to see Chris Hansen, who began his campaign not talking about the camping ban, uh, come out criticizing others who wouldn't enforce the camping ban. And so um, I think a lot of people are going to watch that and say, well, if, if voters in a place that's extremely liberal like Denver are going to send two people to the runoff who are going to be wanting to enforce the camping ban, that's going to say something. If they go a different way and say that's not what we want to see, that's going to say something, too. But I think this Denver election is going to be very seminal, not just for the people of Denver, but for the people of other cities saying, how can I take care of some of the same problems we have that Denver is experiencing? Mm. Luigi, public safety, also huge issue for candidates, <clears throat> especially, excuse me, after what happened at East. Yeah, and that's right. And <laughs> I think this is, uh, you know, we did a poll, the Denver Gazette, called our politics, did a poll with some other partners a couple weeks ago. And yeah, homelessness is number one. <clears throat> and I think uh, crime is number two, or really up there. One of three things that preoccupy the minds of voters right now. So public safety is a big problem. The shooting at East High not only magnifies this issue, it illustrates for us. I mean, for a parent like me, for example, I am sending my, ki my kid to the school. And the day that it happened, I got a text from my wife who said, what's going on here? And uh, this is a big problem for parents. This is a big problem for the residents, especially in downtown Denver. There is just a sense that maybe crime is kind of out of control, and we need somebody to come in and calm things down. So that's the, that's a situation that, that that we are seeing right now. And and by the way, the if you haven't voted yet, um, you know it's it's it's. It's a good time to vote. Don't mm -hmm. mail your ballot at this right. point. Go to a voting center and do that over there. Right now, it's 9% turnout. I know. I know. I would have thought we would have a higher percentage. And maybe we will once the ballots you know, that were mailed in before the deadline. Maybe those are telling me we'll have more of an interest. Oh, I think people are very interested. And if they're not yet, they will be after this show is done. Good. Because this is going to really change how Denver is over the next four years, eight years, maybe 12, although some people have said they wouldn't run for a third term if they win. It's critical that people get out and vote. And also, they can make a huge difference. Because there are 16 candidates, we're going to have two people going to the runoffs who might not between them have 20% of the vote. So not only are we not going to have a majority choice, even in the runoffs, we're going to have people who you could get your neighbors out, vote for one person, and make a big difference. And I'm astonished by how many people are calling me or I run into who haven't made up their minds yet. So just because you haven't made up your mind yet is no excuse for not getting not voting. It's easy. You got the ballot in the mail. Look at the different interviews. Watch Channel 12's videos, which mm -hmm. are great. Their Q&As all over. You can find someone you can support. Don't try to guess who's going to be the winner. Go out and pick one. Right. Tuesday, you have the time. And the ballot's so much thinner than the last one we had in November. It's very easy right? this time. It's easy. <laughs> Marianne, your thoughts on this election? It's been interesting to watch how people have tried to carve out their positions on 
on all of these very, very critical issues and, and kind of what their last minute pitches are looking, are beginning to look like. And I'm, I'm going to uh, pivot to Chris Hansen, uh, who Ed mentioned. Um, I hadn't heard, and maybe I just hadn't seen it, uh, hadn't seen him talk a lot about the uh, issues of guns. He's not one of the sponsors on all of these gun bills that are going through the legislature. But yesterday, he rolls out an ad from a, a major gun control group that's endorsing him and... He's a co-sponsor on the Ghost Guns Bill, and and that was that was an interesting sort of last-minute um, place for him to to show up. Um, I don't think that the race has had that much of an impact inside the state capitol. We have three people who are running uh, from the legislature. In addition to Hanson, we have Leslie Harrod, who's also running for mayor, and Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez, who's running for city council. Um, for them, it's mostly mostly been business as usual. Um, and you haven't seen huge changes in what they're interested in, in terms of the legislature um, translating into what's going on outside the state capitol. Okay. Uh, speaking of mayors, some mayors in Colorado are not happy with Governor Polis's affordable housing plan because it would take away the power local municipalities have over land use policy and zoning. Luigi, among other things, it calls for very dense housing in metro areas, not only Denver, but the Springs and Pueblo and also Grand Junction, so many more, and also the resort towns. Yes, uh, that's right. It would, um, it would really do two things, right? One of the things that, that it's, it proposes to do is uh, potentially delete the idea of a single family only zoning in these major cities and these resort communities that we talked about. And uh, that, would, uh, that would mean, that would apply to Denver, Colorado Springs, Aurora, Fort Collins, Lakewood, and as you mentioned, the, uh, the other resorts, uh, resort places. Um, these communities would then be effectively forced to allow what's called middle housing. Uh, that would be townhomes, you know, duplexes, uh, you know, up to six units, something like that. The, I think the bigger, well, I, was just, I shouldn't say bigger, right? The other big battle is going to be over this idea of a growth cap, deleting the growth cap. And, uh, you know, some cities have these growth, growth caps, have had it for, for decades. Uh, this leg, there, there are two, multiple legislation, two of them. Um, and, and one of them would say, yep, no more. And, and really, fundamentally, what it does is potentially restructure how local governments deal with this housing problem. And it potentially takes away that power from the local governments and puts it in the hands of a government agency. And obviously, you talk about municipalities and the state. There's always a tension over, over local control. This is probably the best example of a tension over local control that's going on in the state legislature right now. Mm -hmm. And if this all goes through, this would be the first legislative change to land use planning in 50 years in our state, Patty. Well, it's incredible. When you think how many issues... We have used home rule, that municipalities have been able to make choices, Denver about guns, that, that are not statewide choices. So all of a sudden you have the state stepping in on zoning issues, municipal building issues, that are really near and dear to the hearts of most of these municipalities, which have very different issues. The rural place, the rural towns that are not ski areas do not have the same issues as, say, Aspen does or Douglas County, which is booming. Meanwhile, Denver actually has an out-migration. So we're already all about density, but at a certain point, are we gonna have people who are gonna be able to live there? So mm. you have the Polis bill, you have the affordable housing um, vote that Mike Johnston pushed through last November. So we do have affordability 
on the radar, but this, it's a great land grab. I had someone bending my ear about this and saying it was like the land grab of 1884, or it might be 1894, whoever studied it, but it is a big grab for state power over towns, and that's not how Colorado likes to go. Yeah. Uh, Marianne, your thoughts on this? It has been interesting to watch the um, consternation by local governments, municipalities mostly, um, over what's in this plan. Um, you have a growing number of, of mayors around the state who are saying this is not, this is not what they have in mind. And I, and I have written about communities that have been able to deal with their affordable housing, or at least are planning on how to deal with their affordable housing issues without state interference. So we know that that's something that's possible and it's certainly workable. And that's what I think a lot of the municipalities would like the governor to focus on is let's, let's fix this problem without stepping all over our authority. Uh, the proposals, the strategies that are contained in there um, the and the density issue I find the most interesting because if you wind up with super dense housing, um, I had one expert that was telling me today, uh, that's not really going to solve your problems because it, you're going to wind up with people continuing to move to Colorado and you're going to still wind up having a lot of growth and a lot and the bigger issue is the impact it's going to have on our resources especially water. Interesting. And I would assume uh, working with the chamber you're hearing from businesses who are thinking of relocating here or who are already here and saying it's really expensive for our employees to live in Colorado. Yeah, the two biggest concerns you hear from, uh, we hear from relocating businesses or expanding businesses are A, the increase in regulations that have come about over the last four years, and B, the cost of living, which has gone up even higher over the last four years. This bill takes, uh, takes aim at that, and, and that's why I think you're seeing a lot of business groups that are interested in or coming out and supporting it right now, uh, because the, the governor's theory essentially is, we can at least try to build our way out of this. That, that we are 127,000 units short by some uh, estimates in, in the number of homes we need here, the number of units we need to house people in Colorado. Uh, and, and by getting rid of these growth caps, by uh, getting rid of single family only zoning, we can start to build these things out here. Um, I, I think there are still folks that are saying, this is good, we need to do more. You know, The construction defects reform issue that we thought we'd solve six years ago is still lingering over the state, which is why you're not seeing condos built. And people will be coming out and asking for more here. But in this policy and others, uh, such as the killing this week of a bill that would have limited how metro districts could have gotten their funding, and metro districts are now responsible for building most of the housing that's going up in, uh, in the Denver area, um, I, I think you're seeing uh, Governor Polis say, we need to build more. And that's a, that's a call that a lot of businesses can rally around. Can they get through all this by the end of the legislature? It's a big report, right? It's a big, big ask. Well, we're, pages. yeah, I mean, we won't <laughs> see our families on the weekends, but we can get through <laughs> it. But, yeah, so. uh, let's get to our lightning round now where we talk about some of the good and the bad that happened this week. We will start with the bad so that we can end on a positive note. I will start with Patty. Well, I will play off permitting. If you want things changed at City Hall, remember to go vote. And don't forget, city council races are important, too. We haven't had a chance to talk about those, but those are going to be critical. Mm. So get out and vote. Get out and vote. What's something that you didn't see that you saw this week that wasn't so great? The rhetoric that is going on in the state house. It, it is uh, both on the state house floor, where you had one lawmaker who went into a tirade 
uh, on Monday and for which he was chastised by the Speaker of the House. Um, but we're also seeing that rhetoric is not confined to the floor of the House. And it's time for the House, members of the House on both sides of the aisle, please grow up and have some grace. I, as much as we talk about this, I also want to caution against the overuse of the term filibustering. There is filibustering going on. When you are reading a bill or the fiscal note at length, you are just stalling and you're not making progress. But these are very serious issues that the legislature is trying to tackle this year. And I think we can all agree that we want good debates around that. Sometimes they take a long time. And I would caution against calling every long debate filibustering when sometimes it's just aside putting forward long and still cogent arguments against or for a bill. Thank you. That's good. Yeah, not this week, but I'm dreading next week, okay? I'm, I mean, I'm half of me says, thank God it's going to be Tuesday next week. We're going to get this done, and then we're going to have a runoff at some point. Uh, but the other part of me is like, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long Tuesday, a long Wednesday, a long Thursday, and maybe even a long Friday. Okay, we'll check back in with you at the end of next week and see how you're doing. Let's end on a positive note, shall we, Patty? As we head into April, let's thank Mother Nature for our big snowpack that is going to extending the skiing season, but also going to help with the drought. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. I want to salute the nonpartisan staff, particularly in the State House. These are people like the uh, chief clerk of the House, these sergeants, and, and a myriad of other folks who are not who are there for the long haul, no matter how long, and no ma matter how much wear and tear, they have done a fantastic job, and they're the real behind-the-scenes champions. Oh, that's good for you to mention them. Today, as we tape this, it is opening day, and that means the Rockies are undefeated so far. <laughs> they say opening day, uh, hope springs anew on opening day, and I'm going to hold out hope that this could be the year that they turn it around and at least look forward to seeing the youngsters playing on this team. Yes, okay. I'm going to sacrifice a goat to make sure that your heart is not broken when this season is over. Oh. Uh, um, I am very happy that it's baseball season yeah. started. It means that it's going to warm up. We hope, we hope, we hope, yeah, we yeah. hope. All right. Thank you all, and thanks for watching tonight. We appreciate it, everybody. Uh, you can share this show or watch it again anytime by going to pbs12.org or our YouTube page. And Denverites, with Election Day coming up, if you are still looking for some insight into our mayoral candidates, pbs12.org is a great place to go because you'll find our forum with 10 of the candidates, as well as our Humanize series, which Patty was talking about, where you'll discover the personal sides of the people who are running to be our next mayor. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week right here on PBS 12. <laughs>